Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host, Dave Kale, and we have a really, really fun and not at all overly detailed uh, episode today where we, we talk about the elves and all of the various divisions and ethnic groups and the long, fascinating history of how they got that way. This is, this is going to be good good stuff, meaty. Lots of like dramatic character moments, I'm sure. That's right. The only thing that's going to be more exciting than this is when we finally uh, get to Of Beleriand and its realms, which is, I know, what everyone, like the high <laughs> yeah, drama right. s- segment that everyone has been waiting for more than anything Geography. else. But yeah, yeah. Geography. Geopolitical episode. <laughs> that's right. We'll get to the geo. Oh. We, we'll still have to wait. You know, I mean, it's not going to be till season four that we're going to be able to fully indulge, <laughs> indulge in the geopolitical situation but uh, for now we at least have the subdivisions of the elves so that will have to content us for the present yeah so uh as you probably hear i am as always joined by my wonderful co-hosts Corey olson the tolkien professor and trish lambert the tolkien maven and uh so how are you guys this morning very good pretty good pretty good summer has hit texas with a vengeance so if i sound like i'm in a wind tunnel it's because i'm trying to keep myself a little bit cool Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. coming in LA. The next week, it's supposed to be like getting into the hundreds. So, uh, oh my gosh, I will, oh my gosh, I'll very shortly feel your pain. Yes, yeah, yeah. I remember those days in Southern California. No, this is pretty you, much. You, the... You're never really prepared for them because yeah. it happens so rarely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is pretty much the <clears throat> time of year uh, when I most enjoy not living in Texas, actually. Um, I really hate the heat. So I have to say, I, I love New England summers. What? New England summers are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I remember from my, my stints up in New England, uh, people will say, you know, oh, Texas, it's so hot and humid. And it's like, first of all, it's not humid where I live. Second of all, it's like two and a half, three months out of the year. But I will admit that those two and a half to three months are torture. <laughs> <clears throat> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, but I get no snow in the winter. So there's an offsetting. That's true. There. That's true. That's true. Though I like winter too, so that's I'm 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 content <laughs> with my New England seasons. But all right, so today we are going to talk about the elves. So the idea here, um, the the idea here for today is they're basically kind of two different things that we're going to well really th- sort of two small goals and one sort of larger overarching goal. Uh, the two goals for today's the two smaller goals for today's session is that first we're going to be doing some initial brainstorming to help to sort of stimulate uh, uh, ima- you know the the imagination and creativity of our artists uh, and composers and people who are you know as we did at the end of last season we, you know, we went through and we talked about costuming some and sets some and uh, music and uh, casting and all of those things but we didn't really talk about any of that stuff until we got to the end of the season so we decided in season two we wanted to brainstorm some of these things at the very beginning so that people can be thinking about this stuff as we go along through the season discussing the story so that when we return to it at the end of the season we will have uh, you know we'll have sort of prepared for that a little bit better and we'll have more in mind so um so that's going to be the, the 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 focus of our topic uh, of our discussion today uh is is focusing on thinking through especially the cultures of the different subdivisions of the elves to me i think that's the biggest challenge uh in kind of thinking about how we're going to do costuming and casting and all that kind of thing the second thing um the, the second goal 
uh, is that in doing all these things, we're going to be setting up the the stories that we're going to be telling, of course. So, you know, we're, we're not going to be focused on, on plot discussion. It's going to be more sort of broad cultural issues. Um, but, of course, it's possible that it will come up and certainly it should set up if we think more. You know, the more we get clear in our minds what the different cultures of these elven groups are like, then the easier it's going to be for us to come and make stories for them later on when we get to them in, in the episodes. So that's the second goal. Now, the, but the bigger sort of overarching thing, as I said, is that this, I, I hope will be a good chance. There are some people who have memorized the subdivisions of the elves, and there are some people who haven't memorized the subdivision of the elves and still always get them confused. My goal is for all of us to get past the point of merely memorizing uh, the subdivision of the elves as a list of names. Uh, uh, merely remembering them is, 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 is far too modest a goal for us here at Silverillion Film Project. Um, what we really want to do is to help everybody to get a, a really imagine a, a clear imaginative grasp uh, of these things, I think if we if we if we work together and kind of talk it through and find a way to to sort of really picture and envision these things and differentiate them in our own minds and imaginations, it will really help us to keep them straight. Once you you know sort of know them in this imaginative sense, then you won't get them confused ever again, uh, and uh, and and it will it, it will it will really help and I hope enrich. Um, your reading of Tolkien and your understanding of these things as we as we move forward. So okay, so that's the that's the plan exactly, Marie. To have them mean something, these names and divisions, and you know, not just to be kind of a flowchart that you memorize. Um, so. <laughs> So and 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 my hope if we if we can get through I I want to focus on the elf cultures today if we do get time at the end afterwards to start talking about places I want to do that too, um, but um, uh, but we'll 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 because there's certainly some some locations and things that we're gonna want to that we're we're gonna want to talk about as well but um, but but for we'll for the records no one here is saying that you shouldn't also memorize the flowchart well yeah I mean you kind of have to start with the flowchart right I mean if 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 you can't keep the name straight then none of this conversation is going to make much sense at all that's why I went through that again last time and 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 hopefully you know when we talked about the plot it helped a little bit but yeah yeah I mean you you do have to start with the flowchart and then we and then we will hopefully uh, sort of move up from there um, okay so let's start with some big overarching before we deal with any of the particular subdivisions or cultures let's sort of start with some big overarching issues uh let's talk about issues of race race and ethnicity let's talk about the sort of the physical appearance because this is one of the initial questions we have to address right uh we can get into issues of like what elves have what hair color later on uh but the first issue is how homogeneous or heterogeneous do we make the elves right that's and and see marie has just voiced a uh, uh, a sentiment which i know that many feel when she says please let's not make all the elves lily white um understood i understand i absolutely understand that um and and of course not only would that be sort of you know I mean, there are several reasons why that would be why it would be sort of desirable not to do that, 
But of course, one of them is simply to 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 again help us to sort of maintain the idea of cultural of cultural distinctions. If we don't depict the elves as all basically looking alike, having the same skin tone, if, you know, and most many of them with the same hair hair color. Um, but anyway, you know, if they all don't all have the same skin tone and all look pretty much the same, then uh, it's going to be again easier for us to sort of differentiate them uh, sort of culturally in our minds. Um, but, but here's my problem. I have a problem with this. Or rather, there's a challenge that I think we have to be. So imagine the initial council of the elves at Quivienen, right? Because we, we have to do both of these. Within season two, we are going to end up with the basically the different groups of elves more or less situated, with one exception, more or less situated. I mean, apart from the rebellion of the Noldor, but even not counting the rebellion of the Noldor, there's only one exception to the fact that all of the elves are going to be pretty much like in the cultural spot where they're going to be for the rest of the time that we talk about them. Right? We'll have the we'll have the the the, the three kindreds over in Valinor. We'll have you know the Falathrim with Círdan at the coasts. We'll have the Sindar with Thingol uh, in Doriath. We'll have this the uh, the the Sylvan elves over on the over on the other side, you know, the over on the side of the uh, the Misty Mountains in Lorien and, and Mirkwood, and we'll have the Avari out further east and kind of wandering about. Those will be the places where those will end up, and once we're in those cultural places, you know, so if we if we if we kind of think about that end point, then it makes all kinds of sense to depict those different cultures of elves who live in different places and do different things as, as sort of culturally or, or sort of ethnically distinguished. However, um, we have to also remember that we're going to start the beginning of this season with all the elves together at Quidianen. Okay, so what do we depict? Do we depict, do we envision the elves initially as being very heterogeneous and if so do we then see them as sorting themselves out by ethnicity as they go about do you see the, do, you, do you see the problem i'm having here Ima- mm-hmm. imagine for instance we make you know one of the subdivisions of the elves like brown skinned and others sort of asian and others white right Again, when we imagine the end states, I can easily envision this, right? It seems to work really well if we imagine the end of season two. But think about what we would be doing in the process of season two, right? We would have a heterogeneous mixture there at Quivienen, which is okay. We can do that. But then as we go through and sort them out, they're like all the Asian elves decide they're going to band together and separate from all the others and let all the white elves go on. I mean, like that could get awkward. I think that could get awkward. Um, and I, that kind of makes me uncomfortable in a similar kind of way that having all the elves white in the first place would kind of make me uncomfortable. Do you see what I mean by that? <laughs> yes. Um, in some ways, in some ways, in some ways worse if they, it's if exactly. In if some they're ways ethnically worse. diverse and then they, and then they segregate themselves. Exactly. <laughs> it's the self-segregation is the problem that I have because it's going to, har- it's going to be hard to, if 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 that's what happens visually, then we're we're going to be creating the impression 
that segregation is exactly what's happening among the, that they're sorting themselves by ethnicity right. and they're and it like would be particularly bad if there's like a if there's sort of this pattern of like you know the 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 white elves are the ones that go across the sea to the magic land and then the the you know the other the 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 other ethnicity elves are the ones that are the, the quote unquote dark if you if right, you align the dark, skin color the, right, with the exactly. light dark thing exactly yeah i mean so there's but yeah. even if we reverse it, it doesn't make it better. You know, no, I mean, it, make it's, it makes yet. it different, but not better. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I, this is this is this is the reason I think that this is not as simple as it might appear. Uh, you know, like that is to say, hey, let's make the elves multi-ethnic. Is not as easy as it sounds, actually. Um, so. Uh, we did already talk about the fact that we don't know when the Noldor coming back white and blonde as a superior race, right? <laughs> as the uber-mensch elves. Right. Well, exactly. no, see, see, the Vanyar are the white and blonde ones. Right. And yes. they are like the super-uber-elves who go up and live with Manway and Farnley, uh, you know, so like... I think we should make the Vanyar... Vanyar should be gingers. Yeah, I okay. agree. <laughs> yeah, David Grace. <laughs> uh, yeah, why not? Why not? Well, see, I I don't know, but but again, like now, okay. So here's w- one way that we can manage this is that it, I mean, it's possible that we uh, that, so th- there are a couple suggestions uh, I I would or rather options I guess that I would throw out there. One is, of course, there is some justification for having the divisions among the elves also sort of fall along ethnic lines without there being any kind of ethnic rationale behind it. And that is simply if it's, if it's family based, essentially, you know, we have, you know, certain families or even like tribes of elves who can be, are genetically distinct and therefore can look different and have them stick together. So, you know, if, if, if we were to make it, to try to make it clear in this story that it is like more of a, more of a family or tribe, you know, sort of a clan or tribe thing that is dividing them, um, you know, then, then, but, but I still, it's, Ooh, they I could have tattoos. How about if they have tattoos? <laughs> Do I try tribal <laughs> tattoos? Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, on their faces. On their faces. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> different tattoo patterns on their faces. That's exactly. Uh, like, like different gangs. That's exactly what Tolkien had I think it's exactly what Tolkien had in mind. Sure. Um, but um, anyway, so, okay, so that's what, but again, I, I don't think that solves the problem because, I mean, it's still, we're still not going to get away from the fact that at the end of the day, we run the risk, I think, of making the, putting a racial charge into yeah. the division of the elves that it really just doesn't seem to have. Um, I mean, the impression I get from Tolkien's works is that the subdivision of the elves is more of a, like a family issue than it is a racial right. issue. Um, right. You know, that elves still fundamentally see other elves as elves, you know, and not as sort of racially distinct from them, even if they're culturally distinct and even if they're like from a different family branch. Um, but I... But basically, one, if we have one of the, you know, like one culture, de- uh, you know, uh, being being depicted by by brown skinned people and one depicted by white skinned people, that is going to put a certain like, that will resonate in a certain way with modern viewers. 
that is going to put more tension between them or a different kind of tension between them than they have and that we might want them to have. And I, I worry about that. You know, I worry about what kind of uh, what kind of associations and things we're going to be importing with that, which um, uh, which at the very least just really kind of have to be managed carefully. Um, the other the other uh, consideration. Oh, shoot. I forgot my other point. The first one was thinking about it more in terms of family than race. Uh, the second one was. We were on such a roll. I know, I was on a so roll. So we make all their hair in mousy brown and make them sort of slightly tan. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good that's the other the other option is to just wash them out and just make it And complete. just make them blah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make all the elves as boring and indistinguishable as possible. That's a perfect solution. There you yeah. go. Absolutely. Uh-huh. You know, the other miss this is I don't even know if this is germane, but I'm gonna put out hair length could be also a factor. I mean, I don't necessarily know necessarily between tribes. I was actually thinking between generations. You know how kids always do something different than their parents. But anyway, that's a side issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, and see, the thing is, it's tempting to say, well, a lot of time passes, right? So we could actually have the cultural distinctions among the elves not very sharp at, in, at Quibienen, but growing sharper as time goes on. And I think we can do that from a like costuming point of view, right? You know, we can, we can have them be more distinct as time goes on. Indeed, it's central to the story in some ways, like for instance, the Noldor with their like increasing, like with their, with their jewels and their, you know, armor and helms and things that they begin to develop as time goes on in Valinor. Um, so the fact that the, 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 the Noldor especially should be more and more gorgeously appareled uh, and bejeweled as time goes on is an important part of the plot. So some of that, those kinds of cultural di- differentiations, like I, I could imagine, for instance, the Noldor and Vanyar being pretty much the same as far as like how they look and how they act and how they dress um, at the beginning, because they're pretty much a unit until the Noldor start uh, begin, you know, and, and, well, until the Vanyar move out and go to uh, to live up on Tenequitil, and then and the Noldor start doing their subcreation, subtly beginning to go wrong thing. Um, but, so again, like some of these cultural differences can be uh, can be can be developed over time, and we are imagining, you know, we are going to have to attempt to convey probably from the frame that lots of time is passing um, right. during the course of season two. I mean, a pretty wide span of years passes between the beginning of season two and the end of season two, um, like 10,000, tens of thousands of years uh, we're talking about. <laughs> so the instructions for our artists on the Noldor is when in doubt, stick a jewel on it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much by the end. Yeah. I mean, I, Especially, like, the Feanorians should be absolutely... I mean, I can see the Vanyar also, when they move up the mountain, going all new-agey. You know, they eschew jewels, they wear only white. You oh, know yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah, like simple white robes and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, that's, absolutely. That's that's totally yeah, how I yeah. picture the Vanyar, yeah. Now, here's a question for you, and I'm... This isn't some... Well, I think at some point it's going to become germane, is I'm thinking back to, or forward to, Fellowship of the Ring, Glorfindel on the bridge, mm-hmm. this is how he looked on the other side of the sea, right? as Gandalf says to Frodo. So, do we want to do anything with that? I mean, I, of course that would be for when the Noldor actually come back, 
Yes. From Eleanor, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe they shine when they first get there and they fade. Of course, it's not going to be long before they start fading. I don't know. Maybe we don't even touch it. Yeah. Well, I mean, see, the thing is, is that the, like the insight that Frodo or the, the, what, the, what Frodo perceives at the Ford is, um, is really more of like a spiritual manifestation than a physical well, that's manifestation. True. When he's under the effect of the Morgul. Exactly. When too. he's like yeah. almost on the yeah. other side in the Wraith world. Himself. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Okay. But it would but, be interesting, especially as we think, well, this is a, this is a season four problem. Um, that is to say, how to represent the distinction between the Calaquendi and the Moraquendi. But that's a season four issue, really. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's not really until the two of them come into contact with each other that we need to <laughs> find some way to kind of represent how right. the Calaquendi are like more right. awesome. Uh, Marie says at the t- when the time comes, she wants lots of liquid bright eyes. She wants. <laughs> All right. All right. Yes. Let's try. Marie is right. Like they have the light of Valinor in their eyes and it's the light of the right. trees that makes the distinction. I mean, the whole difference between the Calaquendi and the Moraquendi. One have like experienced the light of the trees and the others haven't. So, yeah, it's all about right. the light. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm thinking of a visual effect almost exactly like uh, how they shine the flashlight in Bela Lugosi's eyes in the 1931 That's Dracula film. That's what Kimber film. just said, light around the eyes like Dracula. Exactly. Well, Kimber has <laughs> been taking the Dracula class, so doubtless. She, I know she and I are thinking exactly the same thing, right? I mean, it was done so... Uh, so beautifully, <laughs> so so totally non awkwardly in the Bela Lugosi film that that's pretty much I think it has to be our model. But anyway, um, uh, sorry that always, that just that cracks me up in that film. I just love it when we get the close up of Bela Lugosi's face with like the the flashlight shining slightly off center on his eyes. Like it's just the best visual effect. Um, anyway, okay, okay, okay. Um, so, but as I said, this is chiefly a, a season four problem when the Noldor have returned to Middle Earth and they are in ca- they are like interacting with the Sindar and the Falathrim again. So, uh, uh, later, for now, it's enough to be thinking about this bigger problem. But, oh, so but I didn't give the downside right on the. I was saying on the one hand, we can make the distinction among the cultures of the elves increasing over time. We don't have to make them all being exactly like they're gonna be mingled there in Quivianen. However, what we can't do is allow for, like, an evolutionary change. Okay? Um, because we have the same people. <laughs> like they, they live <laughs> for 10,000 years. So it's not like generation after generation, you know, living on the coast, they come to look more, you know, like, they can't physically change. You know, how they look in Quivienne has got to be pretty much how they look uh, when they're in their final state because they're not we're only talking about like one or two generations. There's not going to be, um, you know, like, uh, the, you know, the kind of slow change, you know, that has led to like actual human ethnic physical distinctions. Um You know, brown skin and 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 whatever, you know, like that's just it's not going to happen. Therefore, the physical characteristics that they're going to have, they have to have pretty much from the beginning in Quivienen. Um So, uh, as Carita says, this would be so much easier if they were humans. Exactly. This means there is one other possibility, which is, as we were saying, like we can we can refrain from attempting to make very significant 
um, very significant uh, 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 ethnic differences among the elves. Honestly, I almost think this would be safer. Obviously, there's sort of a, a, a risk in depicting the elves as monochrome. Whatever the chrome is that we choose, making them monochrome is a risk. But I, I mean, honestly, like the more I think about it, the more worried I am about both the awkwardness and the 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 the, the sort of dangers of trying to handle the multi ethnic thing. Um, because you know, Karita, what you're saying is sort of true. I actually kind of think it's important. I mean, the, uh, the you know, Karita was just talking, talking about it would be much easier if they're humans. But I think Karita, that that points to a deeper issue, right? We actually want to represent that humans are more changeable and more variable than elves. I think that having the elves all pretty much kind of, at least essentially look alike, physically look alike um, and have the humans show a wide variety actually kind of conveys something important about the relationship between elves and humans in Tolkien's world. Um, So I think it's, it, it, like so, basically, because if we were to create a world in which, you know, the four or five different, you know, or like the okay, six or seven different ethnicities of elves look as different from each other as the different ethnicities of humans that we're going to be bringing in, so that in the end we have total in Beleriand in the first age something like I don't know what twelve different ethnicities if we just count the elves and humans, not counting the dwarves and orcs. Um. You know, and if we just have all twelve of those elf, you know, elvish and, and and human ethnicities sort of equally differentiated, all one from another, then I think that that fails actually to convey the real gulf uh, between humans and elves, and that sort of the heart of that gulf between them is the, you know, the 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 the, the immutability, as it were, of mm-hmm. the of the elves in comparison to the humans and the, the rapid changeability of the humans. Um, so this is why I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of leaning towards more uniformity. But now when I say uniform, uniformity, I mean, Marie, you're right. You know, Marie points out two examples like Beleg should not look very similar to Indus. No, no, he, they needn't. I mean, there's lots of variety you can have within one sort of general, uh, you know, ethnic range. Um, and there's, there's no reason we can't do some sort of sub varieties, you know, and, and, you know, tend to, uh, you know, tend to sort of cluster people who have like, you know, darker hair and slightly darker skin tone in one place. And, 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 you know, you know, blonde and Nordic people in, 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 in another family. Again, we can have family distinctions. That's fine. I'm just worried about, you know, having like, you know, some brown skin, some Asian and some Nordic elves. That's my biggest, that's my, again, how we get there and how we make that happen without making them seem internally. Uh, uh, I, I just, I, I, I think that that's, that's going to be tough. Um, so this leads us then to the challenging choice. If we do make them, more basic, you know, have a fundamental baseline, sort of ethnic baseline for the elves. What is it? Oh boy. (laughs) I know. 
Maybe we should do something different, you know, like make their skin slightly green or something. Like orange. Yeah, exactly. That's Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um I mean, that's an option. It would be hard. Yeah, it would be hard I, to maintain. Yeah. I mean, like... I mean, that we, makes it too alien. It does. It does. I mean, and, and we don't really want them to look like... To look like... Avatar. <laughs> yes, we don't want it to look like Avatar. Exactly. I, I mean, and like, oh, can God. you imagine, like... I, I mean, do we really want, like, a blue-skinned Legolas and a blue-skinned Galadriel down the road? Oh, God, you no. Know? Yeah. Or, like, have... I mean... Yeah. It is so hard because he did basically base them on Nordic or at least, you know, Northern uh, heritage, right? Tolkien did. Um, uh, I mean... Celtic I slash Nordic it's slash not, whatever. Sort of. I mean, it's not even... It's, it's not... Even <laughs> he really probably weird. didn't even really think about it. He just, like, he just did it. I mean, he didn't think about that stuff. I'm sure. Um, it it mm. doesn't really doesn't really seem to be. I mean, the. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the main thing, the main sort of factor with Tolkien is sort of like if you think of all of the, like, where his imagination lived, you know his imagination lived in like primarily Norse and Germanic um, worlds, you know? Right. Like that was the, so when he's thinking about elves, he's imagining elves as usually, I mean, it seems, it seems safest to say, um, you know, as they were envisioned within the, like, you know, essentially Germanic, cultures in which he spent all of his imaginative time um i mean with the 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 connections between his his um you know his scholarly life and his imaginative life are 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 so close um but anyway i i i um It's uh, it's a tough thing, um, but I I don't know. I mean, I think that we can. I think that we can do this without making like it's true. I mean, going back you know, Marie, to the very first thing you said, I don't think we need to, we certainly don't need to make the elves all lily white. Like, they don't have to be all pale, which is a common thing. I mean, Jackson's elves are mostly quite pale, not just white, but pale. They don't have to be. You know, that's that doesn't have to be a thing. Um, um, we certainly are... We certainly have every justification for having plenty of of, of variety, um, and I would want to make the distinctions. Yes, as Marie was just suggesting, more based on culture um, than skin color. Um, well, I mean, I think you know. You said this earlier. It's like 
elves white and the and the men will be the ones that have the variation. Yes. The, the, yes. the ethnic variations. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of like to avoid too much. Um, like basically, when it comes to like the the Nordic pale skin and blonde hair look. Um, I mean, I, I would want to save that primarily for the House of Hador. I mean, they're the Nordic right. ones, right? You know, the golden-haired House of Hador. Um, I would definitely want, you know, uh, Hador and Hurin to be, you know, the the have that have that really Nordic look. Um, so I'm not. I'm certainly not suggesting that. I mean, I I, I think that maybe we we go with something, um, as Nick was just suggesting, if they were all sort of more kind of Mediterranean in skin tone, um, uh, we could avoid more of that. And I think that's right. I mean, we're going to have variety. I mean, there's going to be different families of the elves, some of whom are going to have, you know, uh, uh, you know, they're going to have different hair colors. We're not going to make it it doesn't have to be uniform. Um, right. You know, they're going to look, they, they can all, they, they can look very different. Um, so, yeah, I think if, if they don't have to be, they don't have to be, um, you know, absolutely white. Um, Mediterranean, I think, I, I, I like Mediterranean as a, as a, 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 a way of kind of, um, yeah, see, it's hard because, of course, one of my other issues here, I don't, I actively dislike kind of catering to racial politics. I get annoyed by racial politics. I want to just ignore it. I know. You know, and not think about it at all. Um, and I kind of wish we could just not think about that. But we can't not think about it. I mean, we, because we, we, if we don't think about it, then we will just end up sort of backing into appearing to making statements that we're not trying to make. So we need to, you know, we need to be yeah. deliberate about it for that reason. I was thinking about that a minute ago, which is I hate pandering to this. Yes, you know, exactly. I just, exactly. There I mean, is the sort of thing... a, there's but, sort of a sense in which if we, if we're, if we too proactively attempt to ignore it, more than likely we'll just end up, um, um, right. uh, you know, executing some subconscious whatever thing. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of wonder if, I kind of wonder if the other direction to go in is to just is is to not overthink this and to just sort of. And then of, we cast the the right person for the role as opposed to worrying about if they have the right look or not. Yeah. You know, like keeping it keeping it sense keeping it sort of where where there's very very specific things like House of Hador. We do it sort of the right. you know like the 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 way that that it's the the sort of the way it should be as described in the book, and we you know try to keep things like consistent with like the physical laws of the world, which is the Parents pass on genetics to their children, etc., right. and then otherwise just have a sort of normal modern cast and and like try not to. Like I wonder if in the end that'll just be easier. Right, right. Um, yeah. Now, Kimber Nelson makes a really good point. She says we've set a nice precedent with the Valar being very multiracial. So I don't think we need to be morally afraid of having the elves be varieties of European. It won't seem like white is right if the gods are multiracial. So that's, 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 I think that I think that that's a very good point. And again, I, I think my hope is that I mean, obviously, the risk of that is that we have, you know, this largely, you know, sort of racially European um, uh, cast for season two, you know, sort of dominantly. 
but you know like folks gonna have to be patient with the silmarillion project film project you know like down the road it's gonna it's gonna you know we're gonna be introducing uh you know other people who look different ways later on it's just not yet um and like i said i actually like the idea of a certain amount of kind of base uniformity among the elves Uh, not that there aren't distinctions but um but again i don't want them to look as different from each other different groups of elves to look as different from each other as different groups of humans do um so uh yeah yeah exactly murray we're gonna get dwarves in season three we're gonna get men in season four um and especially once we get men you know it's gonna be uh it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be very different there um so uh yeah kimber likes the idea of having uh having in this sense having men kind of better echoing the appearance of the valar um you know sort of being yeah being being more changeable and less uniform i i i like that so okay all right um so then let's think about let's think then about the cultures of these different people now of the of the el- of the groups of the elves that we need to to sort of think about the ones that we need to think about least are the avari so let's think about them first um and I say least because they're going to enter least into the story. You know, we will we need to have representatives of the Avari being very outspoken at the at the the great council. You know, at the great the great debate about whether or not to go to Valinor. They're obviously the ones who say no, we don't want to go, and then a bunch of them choose to stay, and they're fairly numerous. Um, but once they stay at Quivienen, we're basic. You know, we're only going to encounter them very briefly. Maybe we, maybe we take the step as, um, as some were suggesting last time, of making Aeol one of the Avari. Um, you know, so we can we can kind of bring it in down the road. Um, you know, we can ha- we, we we might decide that we want to do some stuff with men in season four, um, uh, and their encounters with the Avari. Um, we may even decide we want to bring in the Avari in various ways later on. But for season two, once we leave them behind at Quivienne, we're going to be more or less done with them. Um, so that means we're not really going to have that much... There's not going to be much screen time devoted to like the establishment of the Avari as a culture. Um, so... Uh, so I'm... I'm uh, like I said, we don't we, we don't have to get too detailed in thinking about them and what they're going to look like because again, the 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 distinctions are not going to be very great then. Oh wait, so actually we should go back a step. I skipped a step. What do the elves look like at Quivienna before they disperse? How do we envision like how do the elves live when Orame comes finding them? We, we you know there's that um, many of you if any of you have the 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 trade paperback copy of the Silmarillion with the purple cover with, uh, with the, the Naismith, um, the Ted Naismith image of the elves in their like white tunics lounging by the shore of Lake Quivienen. You're familiar with that kind of image, right? And I have to confess that when I imagine the elves by the shores of Quivienen, I never, I always, that's kind of always what I picture. I always picture the elves hanging out, maybe, you know, indulging in a little tra la la you know, like the elves at Rivendell. But I never imagine them building houses or actually kind of having a, a, a civilization, which they really kind of must have done because they were at Quivienen for really what humans would consider quite a long time. Um, therefore, 
what um what would it have been like do they do they build do they build houses do they build large enclaves do they live in tents that's interesting do we want is there should there be a contrast a substantial contrast between how they lived in Quivienen and when they go over to Valinor I mean it, yeah. it seems like they should change in some way right and yeah. like so maybe maybe one of the changes is that uh, they were more rustic in Quivienen and then the the Valar teach them how to how to build live in cities or something right yeah I I, I would think that they would not I, I can't imagine it doesn't seem right to have like them have build a gorgeous city next to Quivienen right that that shouldn't be because um, I agree with you certainly those that live in Valinor are going to be the ones who go for huge gorgeous cities and especially since and especially since we want to i mean we really want to highlight that this 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 decision to go over to go to go overseas to go west changes them like qualitatively yeah you know it's easy it's easy in the the text to say um uh that that you know to to sort of use use more more um, um artistic language when describing the change of the change in those elves who've seen the light um you know and 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 have, have looked upon the face of the valar and all that um but like on screen it's <laughs> If if we don't show like a change in their society and the way they behave and the way they do things, maybe their technology, etc., then the only thing we really have to fall back on is the Bella Lugosi thing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we do want to have other options to deploy in addition to that. And, and not, yes, I, I, absolutely, I agree. Um, and so it seems like it seems like showing that the it's showing that their their way they organize themselves and build things and all that kind of stuff changes qualitatively when they go over and live at the Valar. And and you know maybe in ways that sort of to a modern audience they would look and say aren't necessarily better right to to sort of get at the ambivalence of whether it was a good thing or not to go over there right right you know I I like the idea the more I think about it I like the idea of having them living in tents essentially some kind of non permanent structure um, and one of the reasons that I like that is remember the um, I, I think it would be cool if the um, the place that they like the you know the 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 um, the dwellings that they have prior to going to Valinor kind of recall in some ways the um, the Valar's home at Almarin before it was destroyed. Not that it looks the same, because it's not influenced by it, right? It's spontaneous. But I'm thinking of, like, the ethos, right? Remember, we talked about Almerin. We talked about, like, having no walls, having most of the homes being, like, open pavilions, both because the weather was very temperate all the time, um, and because there was, you know, there wasn't that sense of, like, suspicion, like, the people weren't off on their own doing their own things. Um, it was a more kind of open community. So we talked about having having the the you know, the buildings themselves be more free and open for everyone to walk in and see in. Um, what if the elves were more like that? What if they, they have, you know, some tents, but a lot of pavilions, you know? Um, uh, 
not in any sort of organized uh, see, like I, I and 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 I kind of like the idea of um, uh, I kind of like the idea of the elves. Um, like I'm, I'm kind of picturing the council at which they decide whether or not to go to Valinor, and I I like the idea of that being in like a big open p- pavilion. That's kind of how I'm how I'm picturing that. Um, so. Yeah, now Marie points out that we do have the the dangerous beasts thing. There are some dangers and if we're gonna get into them fearing the hunter and stuff, um we should have them having some provision to, to protect themselves, I guess. But how would they do that? We wouldn't have like wooden palisades. That wouldn't be right. Well, I, I, yeah, I guess you're right. I, I was going to suggest, you know, we could maybe portray them as sort of living simply and naively and kind of being sort of, you know, basically being victims of the, the beast, not having a particularly effective defense. But right. given the amount of time they've lived there, as you say, that seems absurd. Yeah. <laughs> they would have come up with something. <laughs> right, exactly. Sooner or later, they would have stumbled upon some way to defend themselves. Um yeah, okay, several people are suggesting, and, and this um, makes sense, that they live in the trees. Um, one attractive thing about that is, of course, living in the trees is a thing that is going to be characteristic of the Sylvan Elves. I mean, the, the, the Galathrim are Sylvan Elves. And after the split with the Avari, the Sylvans are the first split. So they're the ones who most quickly abandon the trip um, into the West. Which means if they are living, you know, uh, on flats, you know, up in the trees, that could be sort of them sticking closer to their cultural roots than the others do. So, like, the, you know, if we had them doing that more at Quivienen, um, we would be showing the Sylvan elves sticking with that culture more closely, whereas the elves that go further to the west, the Sindar, the Philothrum, and all of the Calaquendi, they would be moving sort of progressively in, in other direction, you know, further away <laughs> culturally from that route. Um, so that I can see as a, as a, um, a, a way of doing it. It's funny, you know, the reason I find myself resistant, though, to imagine, or I have a hard time imagining the elves at Quivienne and living in the trees. And the reason that is, is because it's hard to be living, to be, it's hard to describe someone as living both in the trees and on the shores of the lake, which is what they're described as doing. It's Um, kind of, it is kind of bizarro. Yeah. I mean like, okay, so we, um, uh, we, live in trees that are next to the lake, right? I mean, okay, <laughs> we can kind of do that. Um, what I'm wondering is maybe maybe we do a middle ground. Maybe we have them living largely in tents and pavilions near the lake shore, but they have refuges in the trees. Um, and then it's the sylvan elves who basically make the refuges in the trees a way of life when they settle down. So they kind of adopt and adapt that uh, that particular uh, technique um, mm-hmm. 
and and really kind of settle down and make it into a cultural thing. Um, because the fact is, it's not like they're living lives of constant terror. Uh, I, I mean, the beasts are, are not that common. It's not like they're going to be constantly preyed upon until they're extinct. Um, but it would make sense for them to have, you know, for them to, to build refuges in the trees near to Quivian and just a place to fly to. Um, another thing we could do, which would be even simpler, would be having them live primarily on an island in the lake. Oh, yeah. That's, of course, a very sensible way to defend that would, yourself. That would make that would make more of sense in terms of defending themselves in a comparatively low tech way. Um, and we can still make, I mean, I, I, I'm now kind of like the idea of tree refuges. Um, but, but yeah, if they lived on an Island, like it doesn't have to be like out in the middle of the lake such that it seems cut off from everything else. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be that far. You know, it could be like one of those islands that you can see right from the shore of the lake. You know, it's like, you know, half a mile or less off the shore. Um, but this gives us them the opportunity to build boats, which should be simple. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining us depicting like, uh, you know, an adolescent Kierden paddling a little canoe. <laughs> <laughs> on the lake at Quivienen. Uh, <laughs> um <laughs> that would be that would be really adorable. Um <laughs> or making tiny little making tiny little uh sailboats. Yeah. Just yeah, exactly. tossing them out there and watching them blow around with his parents. Yeah, yeah, Marie exactly. Kierden and his parents run the raft ferry from the island. Uh, <laughs> to the shore of the lake. Uh, it's in his blood from the beginning. I mean, he's just, you know, he grows up and and uh, it's what he does. It's what he does. Ferry people across water. That's his That's his thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And of course the island can be wooded so we could even, you know, we could have, we can have some, some, some things up in the trees, you know, some, uh, you know, w- whether they be refuges in time of fear or, um, or just some of the elves live in the trees and some elves live on the ground um, on the island. That would be I like the, the island makes sense. Island makes an island makes things a lot easier. Mm-hmm. How do they like dress? Basically, how would we do the costuming? I mean, I'm thinking simple, right? It's got loincloths. Yeah. Loincloths. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I um Yeah. Seems like the obvious answer. Yeah, obvious no. answer, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh yeah, yeah, Marie's simple tea tunic type stuff is what I was thinking too. Um nothing elaborate, little ornamentation. Um Yeah. Now, would the Avari stay that way? Let me ask the question. So, coming back to the Avari, then, how similar would, would the Avari just be like, you know, the land that time forgot, as far as Lake Quivianen is concerned, or would they move in a different direction? I'm thinking. 
See, the thing is, it's not like I d- the elves, especially the 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 you know the proto Noldor who are there, right? Like the whole sub creation thing is still like in their blood, right? It's you know, uh-huh. so it's not like they're going to be. It's not like they're not going to be having technology and developing technology. So even if it's simple, you know, even if they're cloth making and, you know, shoe making and things like that are still like in their infancy, they're still going to have them and they're still going to be developing them. So the idea of making all the elves just like wearing sacks and going barefoot doesn't actually make it doesn't fit with the elves as we know them. Um, but like sort of fairly simple and functional, uh, um yeah marie exactly having the having the dyes and uh and the cloth uh the 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 kinds of cloth and material that they have changing over time and you know getting more and more elaborate the further west they go essentially um makes uh make makes a lot of sense um yeah Nick there's is, sort of a there's kind of a question of uh uh, sort of if we're aligning things up with the kind of the the, the 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 sort of the original form of the the elves being kind of some more rustic people who don't build elaborate structures and all that there is sort of this question question of like why why does uh why do you know why do we see later on like subsets of nandor vari living in actual like structures like uh, you know um uh, the 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 wood elves from the Hobbit seem to have a very like I guess I guess actually culture can kind of trickle backward from the more quote unquote advanced elves exactly that is in fact what we have like in 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 Mirkwood that's exactly what you have in Lorien too right you've uh-huh. got both of those instances Lorien and Mirkwood as we know them in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit are basically sylvan cultures but which have been living under the you know have been living under the influence of Sindar and one Noldo uh Galadriel um who have who have come back to the east after the the fall you know in the second and third ages um so yes there has been a kind of a backwards trickle of culture and so i would think that the halls of the wood elves in Mirkwood would be a comparatively recent innovation, basically. Mm-hmm. I would think that that would be basically Thranduil's family's idea, right? As they are Sindar. And so they will, like, remember Menegroth. And so they would be like, Menegroth was awesome. We should build something like Menegroth. And and that's how they come to build um, those 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 places. Um, so, exactly. So, I, I, um, initially... It shouldn't be like that. So I do think we should make the Wood Elves not have their subterranean home in Season 2. Um, in fact, I think it would be cool if... It's, I, I don't think we really need to distinguish between the Elves of Mirkwood and the Elves of, of Lorien at this point. I think distinguishing that whole group from the rest of the Elves is plenty. Uh, so mm-hmm. basically having them all be living uh, in the trees, you know, establish the, the you know, become become dedicated tree dwellers rather than um, the just occasionally living in trees or um, or occasionally taking refuge in the trees. That's sufficiently distinctive, I think, for the Sylvan Elves. And then we can later on show how, you know, when uh, when when Orifer comes in um, to Mirkwood, uh, then 
He's the one who, if I remember correctly, he's the one who dies at the Battle of Daggerlad. And that's when Thranduil becomes king. Anyway, um, uh, he, he, he comes in and he's like, Hey, guys, um, these tree houses are awesome and everything, but uh, let me tell you about Menegroth, and this was sweet. I think we should, we should imitate it. Um, so, okay, so the Avari can be more... Well, wild is the word that keeps coming up. Several people mention that. Um, um, it's true, Marie, that Aeol does have a house, but we also have to remember that Aeol is weird. Like, Aeol is not a represent... I mean, in the one sense, he may be the... If we make him Avari, he's going to be the only really Avari character that we're probably going to integrate. But at the same time, he's a freak. I mean, he's weird. Like, he's not. he should not just be seen as typical, I think, of the Avari culture. Um, so... And he's, you know, so heavily influenced by the dwarves as well that, I, you know, I think um, they're, they're, they're... We have lots of excuses to make a pretty wide distinction between Aeol and how he lives and how the rest of the Avari live. So let's say maybe the Avari just, ba- they basically just become nomadic. I mean, that would sort of fit the way that Tolkien seems to describe them. Um, and, you know, and the other thing that I like about this is that it, it, I would like to sort of suggest the possibility that Because I think there, that there's this, this potential paradox that exists in Tolkien's depiction of the elves. That on the one hand, the elves who go to Valinor are the ones who are sort of most obedient and sort of most blessed of all the elves. But, as we know, the bringing the elves to Valinor was a bad call in the first place by the Valar. Therefore, logically... There's this sort of paradoxical situation, right? Where the elves who go to Valinor and who are most obedient and most blessed are the ones who are least perfectly fulfilling the goal, the role of elves. Like what elves, what Iluvatar put elves on the earth to do. And therefore you could argue that it's actually the Avari who are doing that. And so I like having the, the idea, therefore, of the Avari being nomadic. That what they do is just wander about Middle-earth. And interact with it in various ways, and and you know, like they they sort of enrich and bless it. Uh, in in other words, kind of like what it seems like elves were probably supposed to be doing all along, and that the very tendency to sort of settle down in one place again, ultimately, as we see manifested in the use of the three rings in the Lord of the Rings, um, you know, this whole tendency to um, uh, to want to settle down in a particular region and preserve it unstained and separate it from the rest of middle earth is ultimately wrong minded. Like it's not, it's not actually, it's, it's, it's how the minds of the elves go, but it's not how they were meant to go. Um, that's a sort of a consequence of the, of the call and them answering the call, uh, to Valinor. Um, so anyway, yeah. So nomadic, that's what I. That's what. I, that's what I'm thinking about the the Avari. So they leave Quivianen, but they leave Quivianen and just become a nomadic. So they don't even. They don't have cities. They don't have. This also goes along, Dave, with the sort of technological differential, right? Mm-hmm. Moving westward, you know, we'll have like a an east west 
uh, uh, you know, sort of axis for technology among the elves, right? Uh, <laughs> which is true. I mean, that's how it works, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, so the Avari are most nomadic. They always, they still always live in tents, you know, or, or you know, sort of have tents and, uh, or, or, you know, when they have dwellings at all. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. I think I think that um, I think that'll I think that'll work for the Avari and the Sylvan Elves. We already sort of talked about the other thing with the Sylvan Elves is that they need to not be very heavily armed. This is going to be a big deal, um, at least in season three when they all get attacked by orcs. Um, that the Green Elves, who are the ones who come from the Sylvan Elves, um, they're going to get hosed. Uh, they're they're going to get slaughtered by the orcs because they don't have any armor um, and they have the, all, the only weapons they have are bows. So they're going to be archers. Um, but they're but that's kind of it. That's all that they have. Um, so I'm thinking very little metal at all among the Sylvan Elves because they're not miners either. They don't mine, they don't smelt, they don't... Th- so, I mean, I'm thinking wood and... I mean, their arrows can even... Be, uh, uh, in the beginning, until they mix with the other elves and dwarves, uh, I'm thinking they even use, like, flint arrowheads or obsidian arrowheads. Absolutely. Um, uh, instead of instead of metal. I mean, I, I, I think it would be cool to have the Sylvan elves be... have almost no metal whatsoever um, in any of their... Uh, technology or costume because where would they get it again they don't mine and they don't trade with people who mine it's not until the green elves come across into beleriand later on that we're going to get any sylvan elves who have any kind of interactions with uh um with people who do things like mining and uh um and and uh and smithcraft so yes, yes, wooden structures, ropes, leather armor, stone knives, absolutely. And no, Nick, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Sylvan Elves' homes have to look like the village of the Ewoks. Um, uh, one thing that I think would be really interesting, one goal I would really like for us to have here, is to have to have their weapons and tools and clothing and buildings be pre-metallurgy but not crude if you see what i mean by that like again i'm thinking of the ewoks here right and like they're they're very crude spears and they're very rough hewn logs and uh and th- and 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 uh and very you know coarse thick ropes and things like that um, there's no reason that what they do they can't do well and beautifully and subtly, but they just wouldn't have those materials. Um, exactly, Marie. They have lots of time. Exactly. That's what we're talking about. You know, they can afford to uh, to chip and polish their knives and arrowheads for a very long time. Uh, there's there's not much in the way of. Um, um, there, there's not much in the way of, of, uh, uh, of, you know, sort of that, that kind of efficiency that they have to, that they have to stick to. So, okay. So that's good. Now, when we get to, um, 
So our next division, right, is well. Let's talk about the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the the rest of the Teleri, though. Um, do we want to introduce a distinction between? The, I mean, I, I was suggesting that the culturally speaking, the Vanyar and the Noldor should be pretty similar. I mean, those two are attached at the hip most of the time, uh, up until the Vanyar move out of Tyrion and move up uphill um, to uh, to Niquetil. The the Vanyar and the the Noldor are 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 attached at the hip and they're both of them almost you know they, they there's 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 little division a few of the noldor you know sort of family noldor um were uh stayed you know became avari but but those who left all went along so i'm thinking they should be very similar um but the teleri could be distinct from the beginning like the teleri is a, even like as they set out mm-hmm. before the teleri start splitting up there should be a distinction between the Teleri and the uh, and the others. How would we do that? How would we want to uh, make that distinction? What would be the cultural roots of that from Quivianen as we move forward? Hmm. Tough question. It is. Okay. I agree. Uh, Nick is saying the Vanyar could be sort of more spiritual, yeah. searching for more of a religious experience. Remember, one of the things that the Vanyar, uh, that characterizes the Vanyar, one of the things that they do really well, like uh, as uh, Smithcraft is to the Noldor, so poetry is to the Vanyar. Uh, the Vanyar are the poets. Um. And Nick, I agree that the, the Noldor would have a more scientific curiosity. Um, I, uh, hmm. Therefore, maybe we have something like the Vanyar and the Noldor as sort of being kind of more slightly more like esoteric and intellectual from the beginning. The great singers are the Teleri. Um, all of them are great singers. Um, and the, the music is chiefly associated with the Teleri. Um, the original name of the Teleri before the Teleri came to be called the Teleri, they were called in the Book of Lost Tales the Solo Simpi, which means the Shoreland Pipers, uh, because they're associated with music. Um, and this is why the area in the southeast of Beleriand is called Linden. Um, it's like the singing country, uh, because it's full of music. So... Um, yeah, when Nick is saying almost like a priest versus scholar cast. Yes. And Nick, what I'm thinking of right now is basically we have like the priests and scholars and poets together, uh, versus the Teleri on the other side. Um, but I mean, it's hard to, I mean, they're the singers. It's, it's hard to, uh, sort of distinguish them. And yeah, Marie, I'm not trying to impose, I mean, I don't think that we should impose a, a, a sort of an artificial 
homogeneity on the Teleri because they are going to be subdividing and going to be forming these different cultures that we're going to see. I'm just wondering, do we make the, you know, how can we make them distinct? Um, because they are, I mean, there's always, it's in the, for, for most of the first half of the, of the season, it's going to be the Noldor and the Vanyar over here and the Teleri over there. Um, literally separated, physically separated, um, uh, you know, a lot of the time. Um, one of the things that I'm thinking of um, as a way to... I want to distinguish them in a way that's going to be representable visually on screen and which also makes sense in according to what Tolkien said and according to the world that we've been building throughout season one. And here's my... There are two things that the Teleri have in common. All Teleri have in common. One is association with water, and the other is singing. And of course, both of those things have the same thing in common, which is Olmo, right? I mean, Olmo is all about the you know the music in the water and uh, and his association with the water. Um, so, and I'm thinking, um, I'm I'm thinking this is a good reason. This is this is a good reason why they stay, because they find what they're looking for in Middle Earth, right? Um, because the music that they hear and now the, the of the of all of the of all of the Teleri, only the Sylvan elves don't stick to water in some sense. Um, uh, even the Sindar, um, Menegroth is constructed for a reason right next to the river. I mean, the, the river of, of, of Doriath is... I mean, they're associated with woodlands, but they're associated with rivers running through woodlands. I mean, of course, this is even true in Mirkwood, as we see. Um, uh, less so in Lorien. Though even in Lorien, of course, you do have, uh, you know, the, 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 the gore, you know, the, the knife of, of Lorien defined by the rivers. Um, and, you know they're like a, like a, you know, like a ship, um, you know, uh, as it's, as it's described with the two rivers flowing on either side. Um, but of course you have Cirdan and the Philothrum by the coasts. Um, so I'm kind of thinking, I'm, I'm thinking again, water and water and song go together really well. Right. Um, and you've got the green, uh, the green elves with the seven rivers of Assyria and again, so again, just like, mm-hmm. It's always with the water, with the Teleri. And so thinking back to Quivienen, especially if we have them on an island, the Teleri can be the ones who are on the water all the time. And most of the Avari are Teleri as well. Um, so we have basically the first group of, you know, the elves, mostly Teleri, who decide to stay by Quivienen and who become nomadic peoples and will disperse eventually, you know, cause there's water elsewhere too. Um, but it's, but it's, but it's, 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 it's kind of about the water. Um, and I think that we can feature, uh, a river. Uh, I mean, again, think it, Nimradel too, even again, even the Sylvan elves, um, you know, between, uh, uh, between, you know, the Celebrant and Anduin and Nimradel and, 
um, and, you know, the Forest River and Mirkwood. There's always, even even with the woodland, you know, the specifically woodland elves, uh, the Sylvan elves, um, it's uh, it's it's specifically, you know, there's there, there's always water associated with them. Mm-hmm. So. Again, I'm thinking back to the distinctions. So the Vanyar and the Noldor on in Quivian and the Vanyar and the Noldor should be the ones who are like um, primarily hanging out in the pavilions on the ground. And we can it, and then the and the Teleri are the ones who are like down on the down on the the lake by day and up in the trees by night. And then the Sylvan elves stay by rivers. We can have them like finding the rivers and they can even, you know, they can fall in love with the river. Um, you know, something in the in this <clears throat> in the story that we do in our episode with the Sylvan elves staying in 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 the in the forests before crossing the mountains can have to do we can can have to do with with the rivers in some way perhaps um then we get the sindar now the sindar <clears throat> don't stay stay because they fall in love with uh uh because they fall in love with a with a river exactly they stay because because thingol falls in love with melian yeah and they're looking they're, for him they're staying sort of more out of kind of for sort of political reasons and loyalty to their leader. Yes. Yes. And so what's going to establish them sort of culturally first is going to be their devotion to Thingol. And this makes sense because Thingol is going to become the central figure. <clears throat> and one of the things that makes him like the natural, I mean he's not called the high king of the of the of the, you know, the Moriquendi, but that's kind of what he is in Beleriand anyway. Um, and he acts as the sovereign of all of the uh, of the of the uh, of the elves of the gray elves and others. Um, so, and, and it makes sense because he's the only one who is the central. He is the only one who is that kind of a central figure. Like it's their devotion to uh, it's their devotion to Elway as their king um, that distinguishes the Sindar, whereas the Falathrim are distinguished by their devotion to Ase and the, uh, you know, and, you know, shipbuilding and living on the coasts and, mm-hmm. you know, the sea sort of generally. Um, and the Sindar or the, the Sylvan elves rather are, you know, uh, they're off on their own in the, doing their woodland and river thing. Um, and they don't, they have leaders, you know, there's Lenway who is going to be their leader um, uh, who, who, leads them to stay um in Mirkwood and Lorien but um I have an idea by the way that um I would like to have the initial settlement of the Sylvan elves be what will later on be southern Mirkwood and in fact I think it would be awesome if the Sylvan elves settle themselves at the place that will later become Dol Guldur huh that's uh that's my idea for the for and do you, the, for are you so saying are you saying they will um they will uh appe- the, that they will construct the 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 structures there as well no not that they construct it but they settle there they're like, on the hill yeah there's like the 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 original like proto sylvan elf uh um settlement which will be kind of like um uh Karas Galathon. i mean it'll it'll be mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be in the trees um 
but it will be there at the site of Dol Guldur um, so that we can see. I mean, I, we can make references to it later on when that place is taken and, you know, made the center of evil influence um, by uh, by Sauron. It could be uh, it, it, it could be particularly um, uh, sort of tragic. Um, and uh, and of course, it's also just convenient. Southern Mirkwood is just convenient because then, we you know, we can easily have the the Sylvan elves kind of dividing themselves into the elves of Northern Mirkwood and the elves of Lorien later on, you know, down the road as they kind of are driven apart, especially with Dol Guldur rising up there in between them. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, I'm not suggesting that they actually build Dol Guldur because, um, again, they wouldn't build in stone. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. All right, cool. Um so the Sindar settled down. What would what would their settlements be like? What would their sort of the 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 development of like sort of the costuming and and sets of the Sindar of the Sindar? If the Sylvan Elves are like no metal required, right? All stone and wood and leather. Um, what would the, the Sindar? are the most, in a sense, they're the most like the Noldor of all of the Teleri. Culturally. They're the ones right. who develop weapons and armor, for instance, to fight the orcs. Um, though they get that from, they get help for that from the dwarves, of course. Um, I'm thinking we should show the Sindar as building, constructing buildings rather than living in the trees. So, so slightly more advanced, slightly more advanced. Exactly. Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Robert Brown says forest elves not using metal is a bit cliche. I I know, but it's it's purely practical, Robert. I mean, I'm just saying, like the Sylvan Elves, like where are they gonna get metal? Seriously, like uh, where? How on earth would a Sylvan Elf get a metal arrowhead? They don't mine. I mean, why would they mine? You know, we we. Uh, I mean, I I. So it seems to me, and it's really easy for me to imagine a culture, and like you know, and that many others have imagined it before doesn't to me make it less interesting. Um, a culture of people who are totally content, like they would not be digging in the earth for metals. Like they would find, you know, the wood and the, you know, wood and stone and, you know, animal products basically uh, to be all that they required. Um, I think that there would, there would be a kind of a contentment in that, which I think is interesting culturally would be, Mm -hmm. would be be fine that they wouldn't even value it. I think it would only be, the conflict with the orcs that leads them to value it at all. Um, you know, I mean, a few obsidian arrowheads shattering on metal orc armor would be enough to kind of change their minds about that. And so especially the green elves, which we won't introduce until season three, um, who come from the Sylvan elves and cross into Beleriand, um, they're going to have to develop some, you know, they, they, would, they, they would want metal arrowheads. They would value that um, because they know they need it. But the Sylvan Elves wouldn't need it. They're not fighting anything with armor. All they're doing is, you know, hunting beasts. At most, 
you know, uh, opposing some of the creatures of Mor- of Melkor that are still wandering about the, you know, the, 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 the fell creatures. Um, uh, but still, most of them they can avoid by living in the trees, you know, and the others they can, they can, they can certainly fight with their, with their stone arrowheads. So, but anyway, mm-hmm. so, so the Sindar, I think the Sindar should build, but I think that the, and there's something I think more of permanence in the Sindar as well. Again, and it's about having a king, right? You know, like you, you settle, Thingol needs a hall, right? Uh, in order, to, you know, to, to rule from. Um, so I'm thinking the Sindar still, they're still primarily wood. I don't think they build stone, you know, fortresses or palaces or anything. But I would think wooden structures and much more elaborate wooden structures <clears throat> for the Sindar. And they would get more metal introduced into their... They would get metal more and sooner. Well, they'll certainly get it in Season 3 when they meet the... or Yeah, in Season 3 when they meet the dwarves. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, then the Philothrim, the next division, right is going to be cured in the shipwright and the elves of the havens and culturally they're culturally they're the easiest right i mean they're they're seagoing but the difference and the, the key difference here like the difference between the numenorians and the philothrim is that both of them are seagoing cultures but the numenorians were explorers and the philothrim are not explorers they don't go that right. far. Um, and I think that's that's an important distinction to make about the Philothra. They they are content to be on the coast. They love the they love the water, they love the sea, they like being on it, they build ships, but they're not um, forever they don't have this compulsion to forever push the boundaries and explore. Yes. Yes, exactly. They just they love the sea for its own sake, not to find out what's on the other side of it. Because um, I mean, you think about it, like somebody whose attitude towards the sea is fundamentally one of an explorer is not someone who loves the sea for itself. It's someone who sees it as a means to get somewhere else. Right? They're interested in mm-hmm. land on the other side of the sea or islands in the middle of the sea. Uh, they're not interested in just the sea for its own purpose. And that's, that's the Philothrim, you know, so they're more like, you know, shoremen or, you know, watermen than they are like mariners in that, Mm -hmm. in that way. Um, If that distinction makes sense. Um, Yeah. Marie, exactly. More friendly with Ase than Olmo. Exactly. Um, Nick is wondering if we should have any waterborne structures, you know, uh, like, uh, Even you know, like Lake Town, or even like houseboats, um, I wouldn't think so for the Philothrim, um, because they would be about the havens for ships. So they would they they would they would be making ports, and would be living in mm-hmm. ports, you know, in port towns, um, but not necessarily living on the water, because of course it's much harder to do on the ocean coast anyway. Um, I was thinking about that, Nick, in Quivienen, actually, if there should be any um, sort of structures on the water. 
any like proto lake town business going on at Quivienen, um, which could be kind of cool. But um, but I can't think of where else that would go. Actually, that kind of I mean, you would think I mean if I've said that the Teleri like one of their main things is water, you'd think that some Teleri somewhere would do that, right? Would actually live in a a lake town kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of who and where exactly that would be. You know, we could have the Sindar settle down in a place like that and move to Menegroth. Because they're not going to, they're not going to, we talked about them not building Menegroth until later on, right? Having that be a thing that happens in season three when they meet the dwarves and the dwarves help them to construct Menegroth. And for that to be correlated with the time of war that's going to be coming when the orcs emerge and uh, we start getting fighting and the, the, the Sindar having to defend themselves. Um, so, um, um, you know, that would, be, uh, that would be interesting to have the Sindar be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Robert Brown is saying, the elves of Dorwinian and the Sea of Rune... I follow you there, Robert, but I don't want to, we can't, the last thing we need to do is introduce more distinct, more divisions of the elves than we, like, (laughs) I want to, we have to try to keep this visually as simple as we can. It's already complicated enough, right? Um, So having, you know, the Avari by Quivianen living nomadically, the Sindar, we park them in the forest, right? We, 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 we get to the forest, you know, we, we get to Mirkwood, we park them in Mirkwood. They are now woodland people living by rivers. Then we go to, um, you know, then we go to, uh, 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 you know, the Sindar, and we park them in Doriath, in, and we can have a river and a lake there, um, you know, for them to live. You know, we, we can have, uh, like, a lake for them to live at at first, and then they move into Menegroth later on. But they're still, they're parked there. And then we have... Um, uh, then we have the Philothrim and we park them by the coast where every, you know, where the elves had been taking off to go to Valinor. Um, and we park the Noldor and the Vanyar, um, uh, you know, over there in Valmar and in, uh, um, and in Tyrion. Um, that's enough. Like, yes, it's true that they would be dispersed. Like the Sindar would be in other places other than Mirkwood and everything. Um, totally true, but too much. <laughs> It's going to be too much uh, to sort of spread them around. I think we need to. Uh, I think we need to kind of simplify that uh, that concept as much as we can, uh, just to make it make that kind of graspable. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I think that kind of works. What do the do the Philothrim build? The, the Philothrim must build. We we would have we'd have. Seems like it. Yeah, they're building. They're building ships, after all, right? Right. Yeah, they will. They will be building ships, though not at first. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll teach them to build ships. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, so they'll be living in coastal towns. But they'll be, they'll be. They should they'll have. Be, they should have some basic competency. Yeah, they would be wooded. You know, uh, wood wood structure coastal towns um 
I mean, eventually they're going to be building towers and things um, mm-hmm. as time goes on. Maybe we have Kirden live in a tower. Maybe we do. Maybe we do get towers. Again, I'm thinking of our westward-oriented technological axis. Uh, um, we could have tower building. We could have Kirden building with stone, actually, because stone on the seacoast is kind of a, so like because you know we're you know they would have like they would be developing lighthouses and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, Robert, I was also picturing Stone Keys and Brithambar and Eglarest. Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, uh, Kimber is asking about languages, which I've been avoiding to this point. Thank you, Kimber, for uh, uh, now forcing me to think about something I've been attempting to avoid. Uh, but... Um, but yeah, okay. That's so, what our listeners' job is. I know, I know. Okay, so we'll have Kier, we'll have we'll have the we'll have the Philothrum build in stone. I like that actually. So that they'll be building in stone. We'll get like lighthouses and stone keys and things like that, which can endure by the sea coast. Um, uh, and yeah, Marie talks about the the importance of of permanence being associated with Kirden's uh, uh, dwelling, which certainly seems seems important but kimber was bringing up the language question specifically written languages um uh so like do we have all of the elves be entirely oral cultures at this point now remember uh dairon makes a set of runes in doriath prior to the return of the noldor so there's two sets of elvish letters one of which is traced back to uh, well, Rumil makes some first, and then Feanor makes better ones. So you've got the Feanorian characters, and you've got the uh, you've got Dairon's runes. Um, so there will be writing in Doriath, but remember, in the Silmarillion, even mentions that it, that Dairon's runes didn't really catch on that well. Like the the dwarves loved them, and the dwarves took them and used them, um, but the elves were kind of like could take it or leave it when it came to writing. Um, and, uh, remember this is another, this is another thing. Like it's very natural, I think, for people to think of elves as bookish, right? That seems like a very natural sort of association. Elves would love books, right? Except. But they, they didn't get writing or any of that stuff for quite a while after they. No. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Why do we write books? Like, why do we have books? Oh, right. To, to, to keep our history. To, yeah, to preserve right. things from one generation right. to another. <laughs> right? <laughs> They're good. They just, they still remember it. Right? Yeah, exactly, Marie. They have living memory. Um, not to mention, and that's even before we take into account the whole elvish dreams thing, right? Like the, the different relationship between uh, elves and memories. <clears throat> that you know that Gimli and Legolas talk about uh, at a few points in the Lord of the Rings, um, which suggests that their memories are are qualitatively different from human memories anyway, despite the fact that they must uh, necessarily be a great deal longer. So um, th- that is the memories. Um, so so yeah, uh, writing is there's not the need for writing among elves. 
that there is among humans. Um, so it's something that doesn't catch on for a while. Um, especially in these earlier days. Later on, when like the elves start getting stomped on, the idea that things might need to get preserved because we're all might because most of us might get slaughtered uh, comes to be a bigger question, <laughs> right? Uh, there's like a different reason to preserve things uh, and write stuff down uh, if uh, you know you might get killed by uh, orcs later on. But in these days, you know, before war has really broken out in Middle-earth, um, they seem to think of it very little. That does mean, I think, Kimber, that visually we're not going to represent writing very much, if at all. Like, I think that very few things would have runes on them, for instance. Like it's to, And again, that's a natural thing, right? You imagine, like, you know, elvish weapons and things should have runes on them, right? Like elvish runes. Uh, no, actually, not at all, I think, in season two. Um, in fact, I think that should be a thing that we show Feanor doing. Um, Feanor can be carving runes on swords and things. Um, that can be a Feanorian thing. That can be a dwarvish thing, too. Oh, yes, okay, Marie, let's talk about Quenya and Cinderin. Um Well, I think we've pretty much exhausted that topic. Um, no, again, the, the... <laughs> uh, this brings us back to the 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 conversation that we had at length back in season zero, and never really fully resolved. Are we going to try to differentiate, and how are we going to try to differentiate among the languages, and at what point do we commence differentiating? I mean, honestly, if we think about it, the time frames we're talking about, theoretically, we're going to have the same elves, the same cast of characters speaking Quenya or Proto-Quenya at the beginning at Quivianen and speaking Quenya at the end. Well, like Elway is speaking Cinderin by the end, like within eight episodes or so of each other, those languages will be shifting. That's well, you know, the hard. only reason I can think of at this point to to worry about that is Thingol's uh, banning yes. of Quenya. Yes. Now, but is that a big enough issue? I mean, I there's going to be enough obvious like Thingol, you know, anti Noldor sentiment from Thingol anyway when that time comes that that banning Quenya might not really be that big of a deal. So do we need Quenya? Do we need to make the distinction? You know, I mean, I'm sure critics, you know, Tolkien fans will, you know, eat our lunch if we don't do it. But it's I know that's the thing. Right. I mean, it's like, how can you adapt to the Silmarillion of all things and be like, right. Yeah, but let's just like ignore the linguistic stuff. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Because, I mean, really, how important are Tolkien's languages to the Silmarillion? Really? I mean, you know, right. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, like the, I mean, as we know, the languages were the whole point of the thing. Like that was, I mean, everybody knows Tokyo went overboard with the language stuff. I mean, come on. Exactly. Seriously. I mean, just a little (laughs) trimming there. Can't we just, you know, kind of cut that down a little bit. It's not a huge, no, I mean, exactly. It's, it's only the entire, the entire point. Exactly. Marie. I mean, the entire Silmarillion is just the fleshing out of his, 
you know, etymological relationships between the languages. Like, yeah, I, know, it's so I know. awkward. It's so awkward. Especially oh in the constrained God. time that we have. I mean, it's, oh. it's, it, it really, more than anything else, that puts, that puts more pressure than anything else does on how we're going to handle the passage of time over the course of season two. Because even the cultural shifts that we're going to show happening can be largely circumstantial, right? That is to say, the Sylvan Elves live in trees because they settle down in a forest, for crying out loud, right? Um, you know, the Sindar settled down because, again, like, they're, they decide, like, they're, like, they're taking Thingol as their king and they want to make a hall for Thingol to rule in, so they build things in there by a lake. Cool, fine, whatever. Like, that's easy. The, the, the Philothrum build stone houses because they're settling down by the coast and the, because of the harsh weather of the coast and, you know, and the weathering of the wood by the, by the salt uh, uh, spray and everything, um, you know, and like occasional hurricanes, they are friends with Asse. So, you know, hanging out with Asse is kind of dangerous. Um, you know, you have to prepare yourself for inclement weather when Asse is your best friend. Um, so they build out of stone, right, to endure the, 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 the harsher weather that follows Asse around on the coast. All those things are explicable without having to say thousands of years passed and they eventually began to build stone houses, right? It's fine. Like, you know, we have, we have, uh, we have like geographic reasons for those things um, that can make it make sense without having to be like, trust us, enough time passed that this makes sense, Right. But with the language thing, it's really hard to avoid that. Um, uh, <laughs> several people are, are Karina's warning, uh, uh, warning us that we're going to like give, 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 give us nerds, as she says, a heart attack. Um, yeah, I am. Um, uh, I know. I know. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying I really... I'm just saying... I'm not saying that I really want to get rid of the distinction between Cinderin and Quenya. I'm just saying I can't think of a good way to do it. I'm totally open to suggestions. This doesn't really solve it, but is there some way we can refer to this thing in the frame narrative? I mean, we have Galadriel, we have Celeborn, Cinderin yeah, and Noldo, right? We can. Um I don't know that that solves anything I, unless we say, uh, oh, so when we talk about this further, mom and dad, we're going to, I mean, grandpa and grandma, we're going to do this with a universal translator, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I don't know. I don't know that that solves anything, but maybe the passage of time thing could be dealt with in the frame narrative. The fact that the language is, you know, differentiated rather well, than having to show it. I mean, it would be, and it, it would be easy enough to bring it up in the frame, certainly, because you have, I, I, you know, again, if Arwen and Goadriel and Celeborn are having discussions about like, what is the, you know, the the home and you know the the what is the ultimate home of the elves and where do elves belong, the whole question of you know, like Quenya is the language of the elves of 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 Valinor and Sindarin is the language of the elves of Middle Earth, roughly. Um, I mean, is, is, is a way to think about that. Right. So, I mean, it, it could easily come up in discussion. We, you know, we could, we could have like one way of framing that question, um, could be, you know, are when asking, um, you know, so what, uh, what really is the, the, you know, the true language of the elves, 
um, is Quenya the true language of the elves? And, you know, Sindarin is, you know, merely like the variant, you know, derived by those who stayed behind in Middle-earth as they shouldn't have done? Or is Sindarin the true el- the true language and the, you know, the Valinorian elves, you know, had their own language sort of, you know, influenced and altered um, by the, uh, you know, by the Valar when they went over there? Um, so... Um, uh, it can come up in the frame again. My question. So, so let's let's just let's just let's just think. Let's just think about this a little bit more here. Okay. At what point? So, those of you who are so you know uh, uh, Marie and 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 uh, uh, Brianna and others who are insisting on doing the language thing. Let me put this to you then. When does it change? At what point do we have it? Do we have the two, el- the, the 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 two different peoples speaking different languages? One way of thinking about that: What language did the Teleri of Alqualande speak? Are they still? Do they speak Quenya? So the elves who depart. Do they speak Quenya? Did they, or like did they speak Sindarin before? And do they learn Quenya when they get to Valinor? Is hmm. Quenya a purely Valinorian language? So that it's I, like, yeah, I think so, right? Um, that would be that would be sort of and and even if even if sort of that's like a not not immediately obvious or true from the text. It, that would be a really good way to. Um, um, that would be a really sort of. That's yet another sort of way in which the elves are changed. Right. Uh, you know, the elves who go over to Valinor. That's sort of another way in which they're profoundly impacted or changed. Right. We could do, and Dave, as you say, it's not. It's not exactly how it's described as happening. But we could have Quenya be something like. Almost a language that is taught to them by the Valar. It's not. I know it's not an alien language that comes in. It's. I know it's not. I know it's related to, to to uh, uh, to Cinderin philologically. I know, but, um, but again, I'm just thinking. How do we do it? How do you do slow language? How do you deploy? Um, how do you deploy Grimm's law, in eight episodes? You know. I mean, like that's what I don't. That's what I don't see. That's what I don't see. How we're gonna how how we're gonna do it. Um, uh, yeah, I know, Marie. I know uh, Marie and Brianna keep telling me how it works in the books. I know how it works in the books, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how do we do it on screen? How it happens in the books is slow change over thousands of years. That because of their separation, over tens of thousands of years, their languages changed. But how do we do that in an hour? I mean, realistically, I mean, think, think it through, okay? Like, like for a second, okay, hang on here. Let me go, I'm going to go back to my notes from last time. Episode by episode. Episode one, meeting Oromea at Quiviana, we're all speaking the same language. Episode two, Invitation Ambassadors. Episode three, The Great Debate. Okay, we're all still speaking the same language. No no one's even separated from each other, right? Remember, it's the separation while in Valinor from the elves in Middle-earth that makes this distinction, right? So episode four, 
we finally get the Noldor and the and the Vanyar arriving in Valinor in episode four. So episode four is the first moment at which the languages could possibly begin to start diverging. Okay. And then by episode six and seven, we're there. So like in two or three episodes, we would have to have this philological evolution of, you know, the languages and dividing. I mean, it's, it's, I don't understand how we can do that. I don't understand how we can do that organically the way that Tolkien described it. I mean, this seems to me just one of those things that I don't know that you can do well in these. I mean, unless we're prepared to spend way more time than we already are spending um, on this period. We can talk about it in the frame to talk about time passing, especially like round about episode seven. Right. Episode seven is the noontide of Valinor. Right. Finway's two wives, the birth of Fanor. That's going to be our biggest, like, time passes kind of episode. So we can try to talk about it then, to introduce the distinctions. Maybe in episodes one through six, remember we had the two divisions of season two. The first half of season two, roughly, is like the journey to Valinor and everybody settling down into the places where they're more or less going to be. And then the second half, a little bit less than half of the season, is the story of Melkor and the Noldor and leading up to the darkening of Valinor. Maybe in the first half of the season, right before we get to the noontide of Valinor, we have all the elves speaking the same language. We don't differentiate among the elves. And then after the noontide of Valinor, when we do the whole time passes thing, then maybe we can use the frame to just kind of shoehorn this change in and say, um, and say, okay, uh, the languages are different now. So now when we do f- sort of, because we are going to do, you know, mostly we're going to be in Valinor, but we talked about we are going to go over to Middle-earth a couple times to show things that are going on over there. Um, even though the majority of our time will be spent in Valinor. So at that point, in the second part of the season, we can introduce the difference. Robert says, tell, don't show. Okay, smart guy, how? How do we show? That's right. I was going to say, easy for our listeners to go, oh, no, you can't do that. Oh, no, you can't do that. Okay, fine. How would you do it? Suggestions. I want to, I want to, I want to. Hey, we're the producers. We're supposed to be the ones making the objections, and you guys are supposed to be the ones fruitlessly suggesting uh, uh, answers that are chucked out by everybody. That's not fair. Right. Oh, yeah. So, Robert, you're saying, right, tell that we should tell it instead of trying to show it. But my question is still, we still have to show it. How do we represent it? I mean, okay, so they're speaking different languages now. What does that mean? On screen, what does that mean? Does it mean... I know, you know, I have this picture of... I have this picture of Zinolda. Because while they're in Valinor, right, we would have them be all understandable. We're not going to do subtitles. You know, it would be like they'd be speaking language we understand. Then they come across to Middle-earth and they meet their cousins, right? And do we do it so that they're both speaking languages that the viewer understands, but they're both looking at each other with like frowns and they don't understand each other. Exactly. I, I mean, mean I don't, or do we switch to subtitles? Do we do thee and thou for Quenya, you know, once they get to Middle Earth so that we show, yes, there's a difference between the two. I mean, all this is so hokey. <laughs> God. It is very, very Professor different. Tolkien, I love you, but 
really? Could you have planned this a little bit better? For exactly. exactly. Seriously. I mean, I, I, I agree. I totally blame Tolkien for not having the film adaptation <laughs> in mind when he developed this back in the you and know, Christopher. Well, actually, we should and Christopher also because he actually did that Silmarillion for publication, so he's not off the hook. Right, exactly. And we know how Christopher feels about adaptations, so that he let this out is just not excusable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is really this is really the challenge, right? This is really the challenge. I mean, because what are our options? Our options are either A, to have them actually speaking in foreign languages, you know, in like Elvish languages with subtitles the whole time, which I think is not a very desirable option. Option B is to do the... Uh, to do the language, to suggest the language distinction sort of by uh, by sort of syntax and dialect. As you say, Trish, with like the V and thou as an example, right? Right. Um, just to have the forms, that, like they're all speaking, like all of the actors are speaking English, but they're speaking English with... There's like an archaic Different constructions. Yeah. Right. Um, the th- a third option is by accents. That we just we choose particular <laughs> accents to identify. Karina uh, is my is my kind of gal. She and I are going to have to have a podcast. She's like she's like they come back and they gesture wildly, speaking more loudly. <laughs> Italian elf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you gonna go to Doria's? <laughs> <laughs> right. So right. So it's. It's actually a ban against excessive gesticulation, that thing old passage. Uh, <laughs> That's right. That's right. This, this is, no, no wild gesturing allowed right. in my you cannot, kingdom. You cannot speak with your hands anymore. You have to, and from now on, everybody has to talk with their hands clasped behind their back. Uh, and thus am I going to object to the... Yeah. I hate to tell you this, Prof, but we are running out of time. We are running you out, have of, a time. Hard stop running out of time. You know, this is actually something that if we were actually able to pull off having a somebody join us next time, yes. perfect topic. It perfect would be topic. a perfect topic. Um, yes. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Uh, yes, uh, uh, we have a chance of a special guest next time, but I don't want to announce it because it's not confirmed yet. I know um, this is bad luck. We don't want to be. Yeah, it'd be bad luck. Exactly. To but it, anyhow, so. so yeah. So uh, if, if we do get a special guest next time, then we can totally stick him with this dilemma. Um, <laughs> But uh, in the meantime, please yeah. continue this. Marie's added some more very good points on on the question board. Please, you know, continue this on the uh, discussion board because you know we will certainly come back to this. I'm sure since we're yeah. not. I, it's decided. this is a big. This is a. This is, this <laughs> Marie is, will do. This in is caps. a big challenge. Yeah. So so, <laughs> I would. I mean, and I am seriously like, I I would love to find a really good way to preserve the language thing. I just, I honestly yeah, don't see yeah. a good way to do it. I, it. Something that will be consistent, that will work consistently, that doesn't insist on our viewers shifting modes and like having to suspend disbelief all the time, um, and that won't be hokey. If we can find a way to do it, I am so for that. I just, I, I, I think that, um, I think that it's harder than uh, sort of we think. But okay. Um, and no, Nick, the special guest is is not Christopher Tolkien. I, I promise. <laughs> it won't be Christopher Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't think, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not that I haven't asked him, but I, no, he's not coming. Um, he 
just his calendar's been full so far. So, yeah, exactly. Know. He would love to. Really, really, he would love to. Um, uh, I have the fullest assurance of that. But uh, anyway, okay. So uh, that was that was a good start. Um, we can uh, the, with the, some 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 more of this stuff that we can review. Um, I think we might. I might want to go back and be thinking more about sort of general plot lines and 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 stories again not specific episode outlines and everything but i want to be thinking about characters um more sort of going you know we we sort of talked about cultures i want to be going back and and sort of thinking a little bit more about particular characters like like lenway who reads the sylvan elves and thingol what's thingol really going to be like anyway and how do we want to do that um so there's much more things in that when we didn't talk much about the second half of the season as far as like what's uh valmar going to look like what's Tyrion going to look like what's aqualande going to look like you know those are other questions um that we should probably try to get to as well next time then we will embark on episode one after that all right Okay. Thanks very much, everybody. Uh, any last thoughts from you guys, Dave and Trish? No. Uh, no. I think, uh, you know, we did, we covered good ground today, but obviously there's still more to cover, so. Yeah. I think, I think trying to portray the, uh, <laughs> I think trying to portray the ethnic origins of the elves and more generally the peoples of Tolkien's Middle-earth <clears throat> In a way that is, in a way that won't make anyone in modern world mad. <laughs> it's impossible. It's just like a complete yeah. This is just like I give up. Don't well, even yeah, try. No, you know, don't mean, even yeah. Exactly, and that's one thing I'm reconciled to from the beginning. I mean, there is no way to offend nobody. I mean, that's not possible. Uh, yeah, exactly. All right. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Uh, so this was a, a fun episode. We look forward to more next time. See you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.